Pragmatic Live Radio. I'm your host, Lisa Sorg-Friedman. Today, we're going to talk about distribution strategy. With us is Paul Young, a pragmatic marketing instructor with more than 15 years of experience in leadership roles, helping companies become more market-driven. Welcome, Paul. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Let's start with what we mean when we say distribution strategy, because at Pragmatic Marketing, our definition is different from what people think of when they hear that term. Uh, Great. So usually when you go to somebody and you ask them to talk about their distribution strategy, most people jump straight to the question of how am I going to sell my product? Am I going to sell it direct? with my own Salesforce or my own website? Am I going to sell it indirect, perhaps via a channel uh, or a partner? And sales is a big part of distribution strategy, but the way we talk about distribution strategy here at Pragmatic Marketing is a little bit different. Uh, We believe that the selling component is just one piece of a much bigger question. And so we couch distribution strategy around the answer to three very important and equally important questions, uh, which is how does your market prefer to purchase your product? How do they prefer to receive your product? And how do they prefer to use your product? So it really refers to three things. How do they prefer to receive, use, and, uh, and buy? And, and so when you talk about and think about distribution strategy that way, it goes from what we call inside out, which is all about you, If you're just talking about how you're going to sell your product, it's pretty much all about you. It's not about your market and what their preferences are. But when you talk about how does your market prefer to um, receive and buy and use your product, then it becomes more outside in. What does your market prefer? Uh, Would they prefer that they, you know, go to your website and buy? Uh, Would they prefer that it's a more hands-on experience where a salesperson talks to them and gives them that warm fuzzy? Um, What's their preference? And that's really the, the core components of what we mean when we say distribution strategy. Great. Thanks, Paul. Okay, why don't we talk a little bit about the differences between direct and indirect distribution? Can you explain exactly what they are? Absolutely. So direct versus indirect uh, distribution is a really common term, and it's wrapped up in how most people think of distribution strategy, which is what is your sales model? Uh, A little bit more of an inside-out way of thinking, Um, But traditionally, direct distribution has meant that you are going to sell your product directly to the market. In other words, your product is going to be offered uh, for sale to the general public or to your buyers. That means that your buyers, your end buyers, uh, may interact directly with someone at your company, your sales channel. That could mean your sales team. Uh, If you have physical people going around selling, uh, either over the phone, uh, sitting in your office, or perhaps even in the field, Uh, it could also mean your website. You know, if you are uh, a big company like like Amazon, for example, you have a direct sales channel, uh, which is a big e-commerce storefront type website uh, where people go directly to your .com or .co.uk website, and they start to uh, buy directly from you. So that would be direct. Uh, Indirect distribution uh, is a little bit different. That's where you are going to rely on uh, partners to sell your product. And those partners could uh, take on a variety of different formats. 
We might call them partners. Uh, we might also call them value-added resellers or VARs who are going to take your product and perhaps bundle it with products from other companies or maybe services of their own. And they're going to take your product and try to add value to it and then sell it as a bundle uh, to, a, uh, to an end buyer. And so there's a layer in between you and the ultimate buyer of the product. Uh, <clears throat> and the buyer perceives your partner as their, uh, their sales team, not you. Uh, you're the ultimate vendor. Uh, there's also another form of indirect distribution, uh, which is when you work through what would typically be called an integrator. Uh, you know, oftentimes we see uh, hardware-oriented companies working in this way. For example, if you are a company like Intel or AMD or NVIDIA and you build chips and processors and memory, um, <clears throat> the end user of your product might not even be aware that they're buying your product. Uh, you know, for example, Samsung might make the... Uh, the, the, the processor or the touchscreen in my iPhone. Uh, but as a end buyer, <clears throat> I perceive that I'm buying an iPhone from Apple. Um, I don't necessarily perceive that I'm buying a chip uh, from Samsung. But Apple is integrating a whole bunch of products from a whole bunch of different vendors together into their ultimate product, which they offer uh, to the end market. So they are the integrator. And in the integrator model, you sell your product that is then integrated into a much bigger picture. And that bigger picture is then sold out into the world. So those are the basic differences between direct, indirect distribution. No one is better or worse than the other. Uh, they're just different models. <clears throat> and you'll see prevalences of different models uh, cropping up in different places. Uh, for example, uh, if you're selling uh, a, a B2C uh, a software product, like an app, for example, then uh, you're probably going to offer it um, uh, direct. Um, people might be able to go to your website and sign up, a la Facebook. Um, <clears throat> on the other hand, you might also go through a channel. Maybe you're going to use the, uh, the app store as the channel that you use to reach customers. Um, if you're selling uh, a B2B uh, enterprise-level uh, application or, or, or solution, um, you could also go in both directions. If you're a company, a big company like, like Oracle, uh, then <laughs> you have a really big direct sales force. But you might also try to attack different parts of the market with an indirect model. Um, for example, small, medium business, you don't necessarily have enough salespeople to cover that. And so you're going to go work with partners uh, around the world who have the resources to go attack that type of market and maybe uh, don't have the, the cost burden that you have. It's more efficient for them to do that. And so many times you'll see companies taking both models, and, and that is completely appropriate uh, depending on the situation. Huh, interesting. I was kind of thinking it might be more that more one or the other, but uh, it really just depends on the company. Well, you had mentioned a little earlier about Amazon, and companies like Amazon and Netflix have changed the way we view the distribution of books and videos. Can you talk a little bit about distribution strategies and how they can be disruptors in the marketplace like Amazon and Netflix? Absolutely. So there's there's a there's a big trend in the industry over the last 20 years of seeing new distribution strategies coming in and providing a lot of disruption uh, to, to, you know, really sort of uh, industries that have almost been in stasis. They haven't really had a lot of disruption recently. And so you hear about companies that are driving disruption. Oftentimes, they're not driving disruption through innovation in the product or feature set, but they're actually driving innovation in how that product is making its way to the market, how, how their users prefer to receive or use uh, 
uh, the product or purchase it, making those types of things more efficient, you know, making a what's oftentimes called a two-sided marketplace. Uh, you think of a, a organization like like LinkedIn, they actually have two marketplaces that they're trying to serve, uh, recruiters and employees. And by being in the middle between the two, they can actually um, uh, disrupt the traditional recruiting process by more efficiently connecting uh, what recruiters want with what employees want, you know, which is a better job. You see the same thing with eBay, also a two-sided marketplace, connecting buyers with users. <clears throat> um, but with regard to um, disruption that you've seen recently, the, the, the obvious candidate is new distribution strategies via, uh, via the internet. Um, and, and you take, uh, take, take software as a really... Uh, a strong example of this, you know, software in the 90s was largely uh, what you could consider premise-based uh, software, meaning that if you wanted to set up a an ERP system or a CRM system at your office, uh, that would entail uh, going to your IT team, buying a server, setting it up in your network, uh, having somebody from your software vendor install it on that server, or maybe they bring their own. Uh, and then you use your internal network to service uh, your end users inside of the company. <clears throat> and, you know, that worked really well for a long time, but companies started to come up with more efficient distribution strategies that allowed them to connect uh, more easily and quickly with end users and buyers, which was basically taking those same capabilities and just making them uh, internet enabled. And so we started to see that very early um, as it transitioned to what is now known today as cloud-based software, but it wasn't always that way. And, you know, the, the words have changed. Uh, it started off with, you know, in what's called an ASP model, application service provider, then an MSP, managed service provider. Uh, and then finally, we got to SaaS, you know, software as a service. Uh, now we just generically, in many cases, use the word cloud. Um, and you hear this term that, you know, software is eating the world. Um, which is just another way of saying basically that the distribution strategy for the same capabilities is starting tra to transition from uh, mechanisms like hardware into new distribution strategies like, for example, software. Uh, whereas before, <clears throat> you might have had to go to a company and buy a hardware appliance with your you know, feature set you wanted bundled into it and install that appliance on your network. Well, nowadays, you can just go to somebody's website, put in your credit card, sign up, and within five minutes be using those same features. Um, you see it with uh, examples uh, as broad as, uh, you know, t take something that's a super enterprise example, like, uh, like routing and switching. It used to be you had to go to a company like Cisco uh, or Juniper and buy a, frankly, really expensive piece of, of, of hardware with custom-designed ASICs and all sorts of other specialized processors and memory to do your routing and switching. And you can still do that if you have high-performance needs. But now we've seen that... Uh, a new delivery model of software-defined routing and switching showing up where you can take a piece of commodity uh, uh, hardware that you could buy at almost any store and start to install software capabilities that allow you to accomplish 80% of the same tasks. You might spend $50,000, $100,000 buying a, a custom piece of hardware. Feature set, largely the same. Distribution strategy, very different. And so that's an example of where <clears throat> uh, the transition from hardware to software uh, didn't really change the, the feature set. You still have to route your packet from one side of the network to the other. Uh, but <clears throat> the distribution strategy of how people are using that capability has shifted from hardware to software. The buying model 
uh, of having to interact with a salesperson for months and issue RFPs and so on has transitioned to one where you can just go to a website and download an executable file and self-install it and be good to go. And so, you know, that that's really an example of disruption. You mentioned Netflix and uh, and and other new distribution strategies like that. We actually use some of those examples when we teach, and so we, they're really poignant. <clears throat> uh, for example, if you consider someone who has the problem of, I want to rent a video and watch it in my home tonight, uh, there's a variety of different ways you could do that. You know, you could stream it via a service like Netflix or Apple TV or or even a Roku. Uh, you could also, <clears throat> if you prefer, uh, still use Netflix or Netflix-like service like uh, like LoveFilm to order a DVD and have it shipped to your house via the mail or post, and it will show up at your house two or three days after you order it, and then you watch it and you send it back. Or uh, you could go to a, a service like a Redbox, uh, which, if you're not familiar with it, is like a kiosk that sits in front of uh, places like gas stations and grocery stores and swipe your credit card and for a dollar a night, get that video and, and watch it there. Um, <clears throat> in all three of those examples, you're watching the same movie. So the product hasn't changed. The features haven't changed. The capabilities of the product haven't changed. What has changed is the preference of the market in how they prefer to receive it, how they prefer to use it, um, do they prefer to return it to the store? You know, in the traditional blockbuster, you know, retail video rental store model, you drive to the store, you browse through their limited selection, you choose something, you take it back, you get charged a late fee if you're a few minutes late, and so on. And so, what's really interesting about these new examples like Redbox and Netflix is that they essentially bankrupted the old model of driving to a retail store, and they didn't do it through innovation in the product. They did it through innovation in the distribution strategy, and that's why it's so important. And so, you know, if you, many of you listening to this podcast today may be thinking, well, you know, that's a B2C example. That doesn't apply to my product. I'm B2B, and I'm telling you it absolutely does. Um, you know, think about if you are developing, you know, a, a piece of software, how does your market prefer to receive and to use the next release that you're going to push out? You know, if you're doing Agile, you might be pushing out releases every couple of weeks. What do they prefer? Would they prefer that they go to your website and download an executable file, which they then self-install? That's one option. Or would they prefer that someone from your professional services team shows up with a USB stick that has your upgrade on it and then installs it for them? That's another option. Or would you prefer that everything is handled in the cloud and the user doesn't ever touch anything. Uh, because guess what? You could deliver the exact same features in all three of those models. And the only thing that differs is in what is the distribution strategy that your customers prefer. And so the reason it's so critical for you, the listener, to go figure this out for your product is that if you get this wrong and you build the perfect feature set with the wrong distribution strategy, then you will get blockbustered and you'll turn into the next blockbuster. And we don't want you to do that. And so that's why it's so critical for you to understand what are the preferences of your market and match their preferences to the distribution strategy that you select. So that said, Paul, what steps can a company take to minimize being blindsided by a competitor who has a disruptive distribution strategy? Well, the first step is to recognize it. 
uh, to know that you're starting to get disrupted. And the way that you're going to see that is by doing things like uh, win-loss analysis, for example. Uh, we, did a, uh, we did a webinar as part of our Box of the Month initiative a few months ago. It's archived on the website. You can go watch it right now, uh, where we talk about win-loss analysis. Uh, so if you don't know how to do that, I'd recommend that. Um, but when you do that win-loss analysis, especially for losses, what you might start hearing is, hey, we didn't go with your company, we went with this other company. And you start to dig into why, and you realize it's because they preferred a different distribution strategy that maybe doesn't match your model. And you're also going to be uh, figuring this out by doing research, proactive research in the field. We refer to this at Pragmatic Marketing as Nihito visits, uh, getting out into the field and really understanding the uh, the preferences and needs and problems that exist in your market. Uh, and so you'll start to see it crop up there as well. Um, <clears throat> but when you recognize that there is a new distribution strategy that's starting to crop up, how do you how do you avoid getting disrupted? How do you avoid turning into the next blockbuster? There's a couple of things that you could do. Uh, probably the fastest and easiest way to avoid getting disrupted by a competitor who's coming up with a new distribution strategy is pretty simple. You go buy them, you acquire them, uh, then you now are the owner of this new distribution strategy, and you have to decide what do you do with it. Um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes you see companies buying smaller competitors who have the potential to disrupt them in order to kill their technology, but some companies are also genuinely interested in adopting their capabilities and changing the way they think. Um, you know, you think I, I mentioned Cisco earlier. Um, they do a lot of acquisitions. Um, I actually was acquired into Cisco earlier in my career. And you will see that very often, if a company is coming out with a new disruptive product, that Cisco will just simply go and buy them uh, to make sure that they uh, control that, uh, that disruption. Uh, so that's another way to do it. You think of Amazon, they also did that. They bought, went out and bought Zappos, uh, which you know a lot of people would say, well, doesn't that match their existing distribution strategy? Well, maybe a little bit, but Zappos was really um, uh, bringing a new model to online sales, uh, which was historically thought of as pretty transactional, pretty cold. Now Amazon, now Amazon has one that is different. Zappos is all about making online sales warm, welcoming, high customer service, and so on. Had the high potential for disruption. They went and go bought them. <clears throat> um, Blockbuster actually made a play to go after and buy Redbox early on. And uh, then they decided ultimately to establish their own, you know, uh, a blue box. And, and so, you know, you really have the, the buy, the build, and the partner uh, options on the table here, and they should all be available to you. Um, you can acquire somebody. That's one way. Uh, you can partner with somebody else who maybe is good at that new distribution strategy. Uh, or you can try to build something yourself that adapts to that distribution strategy. Uh, that's probably the slowest and most riskiest option. Um, but companies that make that shift, you know, think about the way that they, uh, they, they adapt. If you have the resources to go do that, uh, you know, you, it might be, worth, might be worth a shot. You, you'd much rather disrupt yourself and cannibalize your own business than have somebody else do it for you. Um, one, one of the things that I use sometimes when I'm teaching to talk about this point is that um, Barnes & Noble didn't put up a competitive website to go and compete with Amazon until about three years after Amazon showed up. And one of their concerns was that if they put up their own website, they might cannibalize their in-store retail sales, which sounds kind of silly now in what's approaching 2016. 
Um, but part of the reason that it sounds so silly is that most of you listening to this are going to say, well, wait a second, either you cannibalize your own business or you let a competitor do it for you. And they were so concerned with preserving a dying model of retail sales that they chose to let their competitor and their new distribution strategy uh, disrupt them. And I would rather that if you're if you find yourself in that situation, uh, you disrupt yourself and you capture that business, than let somebody else do it, do it to you. I just want to clarify for some of our listeners who may not be uh, well versed in pragmatic marketing terminology. The Nahito visit you referred to a little earlier is an acronym for nothing important happens in the office. And that is something that we are uh, very, very strong on and emphasize doing market visits to make sure you understand what your customers want. All right, so we've talked a little bit about distribution strategies and ways to minimize being blindsided by a competitor. But do you have any tips on ways to evaluate a distribution strategy and some of the pros and cons to consider before adding a different distribution channel? That's a good question. Usually, when you think about evaluating a distribution uh, strategy, what we want you to think about is if you were to tear your business down tomorrow and not look to the past and your historicals, but rather look into the future and what does your market prefer? That's really the question you have to answer to evaluate is a distribution strategy worth going after? Because if you look historically and you say, this is what we've always done, therefore we're always going to do this, you'll end up like Barnes and Noble, you'll end up like Blockbuster, you'll end up like Kodak, and you'll be building the best solution for something that is uh, that the market doesn't want anymore. And so what what I want you to think about is, if you were going to build your company from scratch, and you had gone out and done the research to go and talk to potential buyers in your market, how do they prefer to buy? What other products do they buy today? And how do they buy those products? How do they receive those products? How do they use those products? You know, when you go and talk to your buyers, are they buying everything via online in the cloud? Uh, or are your buyers ones that expect to receive that sort of warm, fuzzy, high touch uh, from a in-person sales visit? You know, there, there are a lot of um, organizations that are still like that. I mean, you still see you still see pharmaceutical salespeople going directly into doctors' offices and uh, shaking hands and making eye contact because that's what works, and that's what those doctors want. Um, they don't have the time to go to a website and start reading all this stuff and doing that shopping on their own. They want someone to come to them and provide them with the information. On the other hand, there are other markets uh, that really don't want that at all. In fact, that would turn them off. They prefer you know, to do their searching via you know, search engines and, and, and get into this themselves. And so when you're evaluating, is a distribution strategy good or bad, don't think about yourself. Think about the market. Uh, think about the research that you have to do, those Nihito visits that, that Lisa was just talking about, to get out into the field, to experience a day in the life of your potential buyer, and what would they prefer. That's the key question. Um, when, when you think about if you're adding an, an additional distribution strategy, uh, you're always going to have the question of, cannibalization. You know, some amount of your existing business might choose to go off into this new distribution strategy that you're going to add. You know, for example, if you have a direct sales team today and they make field visits and they talk to clients face-to-face -face, and you start evaluating adding an online component uh, like a shopping cart, you know, to your sales motion, 
then you can expect that some amount of those buyers will go to your new distribution strategy of online sales. And you have to be okay with that. Um, what you just need to realize or do the research on is hopefully you're going to be capturing net new business that you wouldn't have otherwise captured via your old distribution strategy with the new one. And that offsets uh, any any cannibalization that occurs.